1: Welcome to Real Gym Radio. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the conclusion, the final of the Division Capsule Series podcast. This one focuses on the Southeast Division. Last but not least, with our two wonderful guests, Nikias Duncan of the Dungar Spot Podcast of the Old Man and the Three podcast, which I believe he and Steve Jones are appearing on regularly. Super excited about that. And of course, all of his other great work. And Mike Prada of The Athletic and of his excellent book, Spaced Out. We get into, as you would guess, a lot of depth on these five teams, all five of them. And it loosely follows the quote unquote normal structure of these episodes, but we end up really going into depth on each of the teams in order kind of in the in the off-season review section. And then we, of course, talk about them a little bit later. So make sure to listen. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in here episode is brought to you by fanduel fanduel.com slash boston new customers can get 200 dollars in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet i will of course talk about that a whole lot later as usual these podcasts are extremely substantive well over an hour i think it'll end up being about an hour 20 once it gets all the way tightened up so i hope you enjoy it thanks so much for coming on hey thanks for having
0: us very excited to roll through this again
1: I have a normal question that I start with, and I'll, I'll throw it to Nakias first. But I'm going to phrase it a little differently for the Southeast Division right now. Nakias, are any of these five teams better?
0: <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, I feel better about the direction of a few teams. With I don't know if they had like the big free agency or trade splash. Um, like honestly, I don't know how much of a hot take this is. I do feel like Miami's a little bit better than last year. I think what the offseason was for them is going to cloud that. And honestly, rightfully so. Like when you have the ability to get a Bradley bill, but you ultimately don't want to get into that business and you don't land Damian Lillard, it's kind of hard to sell to people well, they did bolster the front court and they did add Josh Richardson. Like that's just not (laughs) going to hit for a lot of people. But like I think with the return of Tyler Hero, you're hoping for some more Um, internal growth from him from bam you add some pieces to your bench like i do feel a little bit better about their roster than i did last year so i guess they would technically be the answer in this case
2: i take it you're not uh necessarily a fan or if not a fan or at least don't think that the losses of gave and and Max Struce are perhaps as big as some people think they are if that's Uh sort of your opinion on on the heat
0: Yeah, I I don't think they're as big just because of who's stepping into those roles. Like, I think if you look at the playoff rotation, at shooting guard in particular. It basically became Max Struess and Duncan Robinson. And I think if you're framing it now as it is Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, like, I think you just feel better about that. Um, I do think the Gabe Vincent thing will hurt not because he was a world beater, though he was very important for Miami's playoff run. But it's more so who exactly is the actual point guard behind Kyle Lowry? Like, naturally, Tyler Hero will handle the ball. They'll let Josh Richardson do some stuff. They'll run a lot of the offense Do Bam. Jimmy will handle a bunch, et cetera. But as far as the actual point guard depth, like, that very much feels like a big question mark. Uh, I do not know if Drew Smith is going to be your answer at backup point guard. Kyle Lowry is now, I think, 37. So banking on him to play 70-plus games may be a bit much. So I do wonder if... They signed someone because there are some decent veteran options on the market. Again, not world beaters, but someone that can help you get through the regular season. They've been linked to Goran Dragic for very obvious reasons, like, does he help you get through the regular season? And the benefit of if you want to call it a benefit, but I guess the silver lining of not trading for Bill or trading for Dame is that you do still have all of your stuff that you were planning on trading anyway. If you do want to call Detroit and see what's up with Monty Morris in January or hit up Washington since they have ties and see what that means. Uh, So they have some avenues to address that before they get to the playoffs, assuming they make the play in playoffs. Uh, But no, I still feel pretty solid about their roster overall.
2: I take it then that they will not be calling Portland about uh, their
0: point guard that is available? Um, I, I would be – I mean, I guess they, <laughs> they were in the <laughs> – Yeah, if you believe the reporting, they at least made an offer for Drew Holiday. So I guess if there's bad blood, it isn't enough for them to have numbers blocked. But yeah, I, I don't know. That That does feel kind of dicey.
1: The other part of the story, sorry Mike, the other part of the story for me is that while Struess and Gabe Vincent were a part of their postseason success vincent in particular but also Struess to an extent being worse than than i expected in the regular season is a part of why miami last year you know in the regular season of course long before their their nba finals run they were 44 and 38 with a negative differential and so mm-hmm. the idea that even if you are a Struess and vincent believer which i'm i i am to an extent like i think they're both legit players i i wouldn't be surprised if they're both either in the starting or closing five for very good teams this year in part because of who those other teams have and don't have. But even then, saying that they could get more from a Josh Richardson or more from just rolling the dice another couple times on some of these guys is a reasonable proposition. And then saying, well, the playoffs are a different story and we'll have to figure that out when we get there.
2: Yeah, I we always say for Miami you know you're so good at finding these other guys why are you paying the guys you find that was what we said about Duncan Robinson when they signed him to that big contract it's like Mm -hmm. well you're Miami you're really good at finding diamonds in the rough so trust your ability to find diamonds in the rough and it you know at the beginning of the summer I was kind of like ooh uh, uh, those are two guys that they're gonna miss and they're going after this ultimately doomed Damian Lillard pursuit. It's quite a gamble. But then you sort of take a step back and think about it. I agree the point guard situation is a question, although I've kind of been operating under the assumption that Tyler Hero is essentially the point guard and Kyle Lowry can still play backup, you know, and and you can play more Duncan Robinson and Josh Richardson at the two to fill in, you know. I, I Mm kind of just assume that's what the state of affairs is, which opens up its own set of questions that we can talk about. Uh, But certainly, Struis, you're right, not a great regular season, had some moments in the playoffs, but was very streaky. And the combination of maybe a better uh, Nikola Jovic, uh, maybe Jaime Jaquez does something, getting Caleb Martin – more of a role even in the regular season, I do think they probably won't miss those guys as much as I initially thought. So I, I don't think it's that wild of a suggestion. Plus, you know, you have Kevin Love the whole season to soak up minutes, you know. I do think that they may not need Struess as much as it seen Now, Cleveland, I think, needs Struess, so I think that was a good signing, and I think the Lakers used mm-hmm. gave Vincent. But I don't think it's too outlandish to say that, Miami. If not getting better, certainly didn't get worse.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you said that about the conversation around Miami and paying people and finding guys. And, yeah, they kind of did that. And, again, they did that more so because Damian Lillard's out there so we can afford to wait, and they ended up they ultimately didn't get him. But, yeah, like this is – I know this is something that I've been calling for. Like, hey, you are really good at this. And, naturally, first preseason game for Miami last night, Cole Swider drops, what, 14 in the fourth quarter or whatever it was –
2: i knew so i forgot i knew i forgot somebody that like could have stuck
0: yeah so like already at least roaming my timeline last night and this morning it's like oh my god how did he do this again It was like well well i think we kind of knew Cole Swider could chew but well and they the, guys,
1: the funniest parallel is that two years ago i picked the heat under and was kind of aggressive on it because i'm like oh they lost they lost all these other guys and how are they going to be able to replace them and incidentally the two guys who stepped up were Gabe vincent and max truce so then mm-hmm. now we're like oh how how can they replace those guys, which they, you know, they just did that a couple of years ago. And so there, there is really a lesson there. Uh, a team that is kind of complicated for this because they're definitely not better from a talent in, talent out perspective. You know, like you think about the roster is the Hornets, because they actually the only free agent they've signed is Frank Nilikina, who is replacing Dennis Smith Jr., who had a very nice season for them but mm-hmm. that doesn't include the complicated scenario of miles bridges and and also i i'm always it's always hard i i bring up this question and i don't have a great way to frame this in terms of like health and injuries and everything else where the hornets last year had a series of different real challenges i mean Lon sorry not lonzo Lamelo lonzo didn't play at all last year lamello only played uh 1300 minutes roughly bridges of course didn't play at all due to his non-basketball issues and even, you know, they were dealing with issues where um Cody Martin had basically a lost year and and other things. And so I don't believe that from a talent in talent out full strength iteration that the Hornets are better than the better than they were last year. But if we're rolling those dice again, I think that their overall talent level will be significantly better than last year. They also have Brandon
2: Miller coming in. True. Don't forget about that. Number two pick. We'll see how much he contributes. There's already a lot of negativity around that because he's not Scoot Henderson, but yeah, I mean that's another guy who's coming in. Uh, I will say though, I mean we are. I, I, if you compare Charlotte to what Charlotte was two years ago, because that's sort of the baseline. It's like this is a lot of the same players that you know were a playing team that year. Uh, that. Guys off that team, they they have lost some players. They have lost Mason Plumlee. They have lost Kelly Oubre. They have lost Jalen McDaniels. Uh, they have lost. I guess Malik Monk was on the team two years ago. We'll see what happens to Bridges this year. What the year off has done to his game. So I definitely agree that you know they will be. They should be better than last year, if only because again they don't, they won't roll snake eyes on health. But I, I don't necessarily agree that this team is just going to pick up right where it left off before all the injuries. you know. And that's before you get to one of the more in- interesting questions in the league this year, which is, is Steve Clifford going to help LaMelo Ball and that team be more less loose with the ball? Or is it just a total stylistic mismatch? I think that's—it could go either way, and I'm really curious to see. But I, I do think that the talent level in Charlotte, you know, is down from the baseline of two years ago, which I think is a more apt comparison.
0: I think that's really interesting framing. And I think with <clears throat> Steve Clifford in particular, like, I do think he is willing to bend some stuff. Like, Charlotte Steele played pretty fast last year, even without Lamella. So I don't think it's going to be as much of a clash— but yeah, like I was just going through it when I was uh, kind of setting up for preview stuff or whatever, and saw how poorly Charlotte was in offensive rating this year. Like naturally, didn't have Lamelo. I was like, wait a minute, when's the last time Charlotte had a better defense than their offense? Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't feel like this is something that's happened all that often or all that recently. And so I'm curious to see just what that means. Like, will it be easier for Steve Clifford to establish some of his defensive stuff if his offense is just scoring more than it did last year? And, like, post-All-Star break last year, like, they had the stretch where they were the best defense in the league post-All-Star break. Granted, it's post-All-Star break numbers, so take those with a grain of salt. But, like, the foundation of improving on getting back and boxing out and defending without foul and stuff, like, those seeds have been planted. And even if it's not a perfect fit, just having LaMelo there as someone that that can draw two to the ball or could just push their pace more and create easier looks. Like, I imagine they're they're just going to be better. Like, I haven't thought about it, like, how this team compares to the one two years ago. Like, I like that, and I want to give more thought to that. Um, but I am curious to watch this squad.
1: It's also interesting to think about the passage of time for some of the holdover players. Like, I mean, this is Terry Rozier going from 27 to 29, Cody Martin going from 26 to 28, Gordon Hayward from 31 to 33. But then you also have younger guys, pre-prime like Bridges and L- Mello and PJ Washington, who should be better. I mean, Bridges, actually, it's really complicated because of the year off, and that's a gargantuan question that we're going to have to see. But I mean, there's also I don't want as dwell on it too much unless one of you has really strong thoughts the sad thought about whether this was possibly the most talented team that Steve Clifford has ever coached when you think about his his career, but that that is a just because he's mm. he's never and Clifford didn't coach that team that was a James Borrego team, which is just a weird part of Clifford's career is that he's kind of had all these you know he's had over five hundred squads before um in, including in in Charlotte um but that is that is another another factor in this and then like the other kind of like passage of time team for me in the Southeast is the Orlando Magic. And the Magic, notably, did not really improve their roster dramatically. They brought in Joe Ingles, who I think is really going to help them in terms of a ball movement perspective. And they have two lottery rookies and Anthony Black and Jet Howard. Not that those usually help your team in the first year. The idea of drafting guys is that they'll help you eventually, that they might not help you immediately. But for the Orlando Magic, it's the passage of time. It's that you have this team that did reasonably well relative to expectations last year. Not that 34 wins is a game breaker, but so many of their principals are not just young, but well pre-primed. So Wendell Carter, Franz Wagner, Paolo Bancaro, most notably among them, but even like Markel Fultz, this is going to be his age 25 season. And so the idea being that even though Orlando didn't add a ton of talent, you can expect the players that they have to be better this year than they were last year.
0: Go ahead, Nikos. Uh Leaving Ray Carford out for me on the magic talk, I really respect that. Uh, I'm right there with you, though. Like I am curious to see how much of a role Joe Ingles plays because you mentioned the ball movement. Also, just the shooting <laughs> overall. Yes. I think it's going to help the group. But that's going to be part of the challenge for Orlando this year because they have so many playable guys before you even get into the lottery talent that they added this year into a guard room that's already pretty, maybe deep isn't the way to describe it, depending on how you feel about the talent level of some of the guards. Like, I feel like I'm higher than most on them, but they do have some, quote unquote, clutter in the court. So I want to see how uh, Jamal Mosley sorts out the rotation there. But yeah, like I think it is just going to be a lot of internal growth. That's why it's encouraging to see Paolo playing some small ball five for Team USA and having watching Franz have the run that he had, at least in pockets because he didn't miss some time uh during Feeble play. But watch them grow over the summer and what they're gonna and bouncing off of the year they had last year. Paolo rookie of the year for a reason. Franz I I don't know if I could be much higher on Franz than I am right now and what he's going to be. So I I don't think they need to do too much. This is very much going to be rotation sorting. And I do wonder when Orlando gets to the point of some sort of consolidation to really firm things out in their top eight or top nine. But we might be a year away from that.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the guards position is a, a big question. You know, you look at the overall infrastructure of that team. You know, they were really good defensively at times last year, very poor offensively. Uh, Just the spacing is really janky. You know, they don't really have a knockdown shooter. Honestly, that's why I think the most important player on that team is probably Wendell Carter. You know, when he was healthy, their offense was competent and average because he he's sort of at that threshold of, you know, he is capable of shooting threes pretty well. He shoots out a pretty good volume, but I don't think teams are scared of him yet. Uh, he's very close to the point where if he can up his volume even more, they might. That will create driving lanes for Bancaro, for Wagner, for Fultz, uh, and even for you know someone we haven't mentioned who I think may play an interesting role this so year is Jalen Suggs. We sort of forgot about him, you know, but he's still there. Uh, and to me, that's going to be interesting to see if if Carter can stay healthy. I think their offense has a chance of being you know much better. If he is out for twenty so games, I think they're going to have a lot of trouble in those in those games because they need him to be a floor spacer and to create that room. I think it's also an interesting question about you know we we expect Paolo Benko to improve because he's young. He did have a rookie of the year last, season last year. He was also pretty inefficient, you know. Definitely rookie type of inefficiency, but not the type of person that I think Like, there's still a lot of waste possessions there. Is he going to jump to a level where he cuts much of that stuff out? Only some of that stuff out? How quick is his rise and how much does Team USA contribute to it? To me, if he cannot jump into like kind of an all-star level this year, they are going to, they're still going to have trouble scoring. And I, I think that's, I'm, I'm not saying he's not going to get there ever, but it's, it is asking a lot for him to do it this year. But if he does do that, then I think they're definitely a play team. So to me, those are the two keys, what they do with the point guard position. You know, they've got some options. Uh, we haven't even, we also haven't mentioned Jonathan Isaac, who looked pretty good the other night. Uh, he's still kind of around in that front court. So they have some versatility there they'll figure out what they, they need to do with the point guard spot. You know, between whether it's sort of they need to move on from Cole Anthony at some point this year, whether they are fine with faults for a little bit as an incumbent. You know, again, that that's tied a little bit to how well Carter shoots the ball and, you know, how much spacing they can create at other positions. But to me, I think the two keys are can Carter stay healthy for long enough? And what how big is the Bancaro leap? Uh, to me, I am guessing it won't be big enough for them to jump into the top six, it might be big enough for them to kind of play in the play in situation. But I think there is a world where it's just not quite big enough yet. And it's going to happen next year.
1: It's a fascinating question. And I've brought up this set a couple of times as i like working through over and everything. But one that's lingered with me with the Magic is. You're narrowing the sample a little bit, but you're doing it for a deliberate reason because of lack of suitable replacements. When Franz Wagner, Paolo Bancaro, and Wendell Carter played together last year, they had a cleaning the glass net rating of plus three point two. And remember that though when those three were on the floor, they were typically playing other team starters. This was not a circumstance where oh, it's you know like those old Spurs benches or something where they're like they're out playing. Zero. No, that's usually the best versus the best, and that's with a flawed guard rotation, perimeter rotation overall. It's not like they, you know, that 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 gets it to like the minutes that they had, you know, Steph Curry out there with them. No, they, they never really did. But you think about those guys and how young they are and how much they could improve. Well, that's also part of why Wendell Carter was such a key for the Magic last year is that... Mo Wagner and Mo Bamba, who is now no longer here, he's in Philadelphia after some time in L.A. There, they weren't weren't suitable replacements, and I'm not sure they've fixed that gap. Though I still think the Magic can in time, and and so the idea that I don't know how I feel about this, but the concept that Orlando has a stronger foundation and a stronger team inside, it may be more of a question of how much that group gets to play together.
2: Oh no, absolutely, and you know what? Would you say the number was like? Play? plus three point what three point two. Was it? So that's that's not bad, but you know, every presumably most starting units have a positive plus minus. So we you do have help. to wait you would have to wait a little bit by scale. So it's a pretty good number, but there are gonna be a lot of minutes where they're not on the floor together, and there are going to be some minutes where they're injured. And I think I'm not sure they've shored up again. That's why Isaac is actually an interesting player. I mean, I know it's hard to expect a lot from him and I know his contract guarantee date is, uh, believe in January it's coming up. So like they, they could trade him to kind of get savings or to improve. I mean, if there's some way that he's healthy and can figure in their front court rotation, I think it will go a long way toward, you know, improving those minutes that Carter is not on the floor. And that's going to be interesting. So, plus, plus, I'm, I think it's just worth putting that number in context. Plus three two. I mean, it's not bad, but you know, most starting units are positive plus minus contributors, or most starting groups. So, you know, it's it's a, it, 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 that tells me that when everyone's healthy, they're probably about a five hundred team, which again would be an improvement. So, it's not bad. I just think it's sort of worth kind of contextualizing that
0: number a little bit. And just to quickly bounce off of that, like figuring out the non-Cartermans, this is why I'm more very intrigued by what we saw from Paolo over the summer and him playing some of that five. And bouncing off your Isaac point, do we see a Paolo-Isaac front court with some of those like hybrid second units? Are they able to juice the numbers without window in that kind of way? If they can hold up enough defensively does that open up more room for Paolo to drive? Do we see a bump in efficiency from him if he's facing, you know, smaller fours or he's facing fives offensively? Like, what does that do for everyone?
1: I, I've been tantalized so many times by Jonathan Isaac. It's hard for my heart. I did watch. <laughs> I did watch part of the uh, performance yesterday. I think it was I watched the second quarter against the Pelicans and he had a couple of nice help blocks and he actually made a three. Though I still think every time it goes out of his hands, it's going to miss. But it does. But it does go in some of the time. But yeah, yeah I mean, with Isaac. I mean, that talent is still there. And just a brief CBA nerd segue here. Jonathan Isaac, the combination of a partially guaranteed contract... And his high salary actually means that the Magic have more time than you think, because basically what they're doing is they're paying out the partial guarantee over the course of the beginning of the season, and so they don't really have a decision to make until about January. And now they they're probably not going to use that to like just cut him and clear cap space, but maybe if a team that's interested, you could also fully guarantee his contract and then use it as matching salary if they don't want to get into the 2024 cap space derby. Though I think they do, um, and so there are a lot of a lot of different ways that jeff weltman can manage this depending on what they want to do and depending on what they see from jonathan isaac and i like the latitude that the magic have to for a player who has been good when available and not available that often to just see where things go and i mean nikai brought it up the theoretical front court of bankero and isaac is is just so much fun to think about and the Magic have all this—they have all these quality frontcourt players, and so a key question that Jamal Mosley is going to have to navigate is, well, what combinations work? It's just like, can you get these guys on the floor, and what a Bencaro at the 4 Caro and Isaac at the four and the five, however we want to classify their positions—what that does is that means it it— kind of it gives you some options for non carter minutes and depending on if you want fronds out there too maybe for some non carter non-fronds minutes that actually have a place that opponents need to be scared of and a place for you to go to offensively
0: like in theory cole anthony gary harris joe ingles and then palo and isaac or yeah. if you want to flip that like that that feels like that could work in a regular season setting anyway
2: Well, Cole Anthony would have to pass the ball to make that work, Uh, yes. (laughs) Yes, that would be the problem.
1: And if you want to go more defensive at the lead guard spot, like maybe you have Suggs as a point of attack defender or something like that, and you're going to run it through Ingles and Baguero. Like, you could do something different there. And, I mean, the Magic have no problem running their offense through taller guys because they did that a lot last year. There are some fascinating, fascinating options here. I kind of wish they had more of the Magic being less aggressive in the offseason was one of my disappointments. Though there could be a justification for it, maybe they're interested. Maybe they're good, they'll get somebody in twenty four. But we'll get there. And then, I mean, there's a weird story with the Hawks. And like, yeah, if we're if we're talking objectively, the Hawks, the Hawks' talent didn't get better. They they didn't add. They added West Matthews and Patty Mills. They lost John Collins and what basically turned out to be a salary dump. There is this weird dynamic where, I mean, I like John Collins, I won't say I love him as much as some, that he had a relatively rough year by his standards, in part because whether it was due to the the issue that he was dealing with in the beginning of the season or not, he couldn't really make jump shots at the same rate as last year, you know, shot 29% on three-pointers, taking the highest volume of his career, even though the two-point efficiency was still so good. And what's so like John Collins being gone, that does not make the Hawks better from a talent perspective. But even with their flaws, especially when they added Sadiq Bey at the deadline, there is a I don't know the right way to phrase this. They got worse talent wise, but I'm not sure how much they'll miss him, if that makes sense.
2: Well, their their style fits a little better with how Quinn Snyder played in Utah once the uh, Derek Favors' Rudy Gobert front court moved on. Now, you look at Bay, and you can sort of squint for a second and say, eh, is there a boy on Bogdanovich in there? Yeah, you could at least make that argument. Uh, the one thing that – because part of the, the, the tricky thing about the Hawks is that their biggest change happened in February right. where they, they bring in Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder, historically, it takes a little bit of time for teams to pick up what he wants to do. That sort of was one of the things that a lot of players in Utah would say that, you know, he's got this thick playbook and, you know, we just need some time to adjust. So to bring him in mid-season is a it's hard. I think the argument for the Hawks improvement, a lot of it stems on, well, the Quinn Snyder's got an offseason season. So it's going to be interesting to see how the trends work out. You know, I would say one of the things that sort of is a case for optimism for Atlanta is that I, when Sadiq Bey was on the floor, I believe they scored something like 122 or even more points per hundred possessions. Their offense was dynamite. Now, if you look closer at that, I think a lot of that was driven by improvements from the Hawks bench and sort of less like Bey with the starters, particularly Young or Murray. You know, Bogdanovich had a really cold shooting spell at the beginning of the year and got hot at the end. You know, is that something that is sustainable? I think that's an interesting, worthwhile question. But is it possible with a full season and you have the four position again, considering Collins' shooting struggles, you're you're now going to play pretty much the whole time with someone that is in the bay, Jalen Johnson, who I think is a really intriguing breakout candidate this year. You know, moving Hunter up and playing smaller. You're going to have that guy there pretty much all the time. That fits a little more with how Quinn Snyder wants to play. They just, I just don't know if I've yet seen enough evidence that playing that way actually improves Trey Younger, DeJounte Murray minutes yet. It could be there, but I, I I think when you look closer at sort of how some of the things happened last year after Snyder was there, a lot of the whatever improvement Atlanta had was probably driven more by the bench than by the fit with the starters. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what that looks like. Uh, to me, until I see it, though, I, I still think Atlanta is a 500 team.
0: I think just to bounce off of that, just one of the things that I was talking about uh, on the dunker spot during the playoff run is that Sadiq did feel better with what Atlanta was doing, uh, particularly in that Boston series. Like, I just think Quinn Snyder's penchant for not just three-point shooting, but volume three-point shooting, it just makes for a cleaner fit. My question is, like, what does any of this mean defensively? Because I think if you're just looking at it through an offensive lens, you mentioned the, uh, the boy on comp, and I think that's a pretty apt one for what Quinn Snyder wants. A guy that can space, a guy that can shoot off a movement, a guy that if you do, if it's a Trey, Sadiq, pick and roll and they switch that, Sadiq has shown that he can bully smaller guys in the mid post or lower. And so, like, I think that fits more of that. But defensively, it's like, okay, it still feels like a whole lot of Clint. You have to save us. And if he misses time, is Onyeka ready for that? Personally, as a big Onyeka fan, I think he is. But I think it's a fair question to ask heading into the season. Like, what does that look like? Um, And that also goes into what do we see from Jalen Johnson defensively? Because I do think he ultimately projects as someone that can clean up a lot of stuff as like a secondary rim protector. But he isn't there yet for very obvious reasons. He's young. Like the playing time hasn't been super consistent for him throughout his career so far. So I do wonder for this year, like I think Sadiq is going to help improve that offense overall. But I don't know. Like he's smaller than John Collins. I don't think he's a better defender than John Collins. So I don't know what the overall returns are going to be with that.
2: And who knows if Capella is even on the team at the end of the year. They certainly seem to try yeah. to trade him, you know. But essentially, if you split the Hawks' season to two last year, the first half of the year they were better defensively and worse offensively. And then the, once Snyder came in, they improved offensively but, again, dropped off defensively. Now, that happened with John Collins on the team. So I, I would suspect that it's going to look a little bit like that. The question to me is, if Atlanta can get back to like a top five level of an offensive team, I think that's their path to being more than just what they are. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I think this is an open question. Like, did the Trey Dejounte pairing get better, worse, or about the same over the course of the season? I'm still not sure. I have a great answer to that. I I, I don't think it really moved anywhere over the course of the year. It kind of was what it was, and. At DeJounte's catch-and-shoot three-point percentage was pretty ghastly, if I recall. So is that going to get better? Uh, is Trey going to change? Because on, on paper, Quinn center teams do well with this sort of dual-ball-handler setup. But he has mm-hmm. done well with that in Utah. So there is an argument that that will work. Again, I just don't know if I've seen enough evidence or signs that it has worked outside of you know Trey having a couple good games in the playoffs.
1: One one wild stat to follow up on something Nakia said. The Atlanta Hawks have had a bottom five defense in four of the last six seasons. The only two times they haven't been bottom five were last year, they were 21st, because as Prater brought up, the the duality of their season. And then in 2020-21, when they made the conference finals, they were 16th. And so, but part of that tells the story that I want to tell, which is Trey Young is a wonderful offensive player and he can elevate a lot of people. And, and even with all the fit issues and everything else, like they were, they were strong offensively during his minutes. And that gives them latitude to, to, even if the defense is flawed, if they can be flawed, but not terrible, this, t- the Hawks will be competitive. And it's just, can they, can they get that from, you know, from twenties from twenty sixth or twenty seventh to fifteenth. If they get to fifteenth, I don't say they're gonna make the conference finals every year, but they could be a they could be a feisty team, they could be a competitive team, maybe even top six. I think I, I that's the the top of the East is pretty strong this year. But that is such a it's such a low bar. But I mean, the funny parallel I've brought it up for years is with Damian Lillard in Portland, where you know you have this offense engine who is legit, and if you can figure out two things, the offense when that player is not on the floor, and the defense at any point in time, you're most of the way home.
2: The the problem with that comparison, I think it's somewhat apt, is that Dejounte Murray is not CJ McCollum or uh, uh, from an o- offensively. So, I mean, that's why I think it's like if if Atlanta is third in offense and like 16th in defense, that fits your criteria. Sure. To me, I think it's just as much a question whether they can get all the way to third in offense or if they're more like eighth, you know, and that makes a big difference. And I, I, I don't know. I think it will help not having Collins on the floor and having a full year of Snyder. But to me, if, if you're telling me that Atlanta is a top five offense, you're telling me that the Murray Young fit just is like a glove on offense. And I just I still don't see it yet. It might happen. You know, I, I wouldn't doubt it, you know, because of Snyder's history, but I, I don't see it yet. Um, and I'm not sure I see a great path to it. Like, I think, again, they're probably more of the 7th or 8th
0: offense than the 3rd best offense. I think just to quickly bounce off of that last year, like you saw it in pockets the way that those two could be used together. Like you saw some pistol stuff like you would have, <clears throat> like they, they had actions that would utilize them together and got Trey off the ball. But it felt much better in the first 10 games than it did in like the middle 30 or middle 40. And so like trying to find that game to game synergy between those two, I do think a full offseason is going to help. And like a full offseason under Quinn specifically, I think it's going to help. And to Mike's point, like we have seen the dual ball handler thing work. Uh, but even with that, like the guards that Quinn had were more apt to working on and off the ball versus Trey and DeJounte. So we do have to see it. Uh, But even with that, kind of going back to my original point, like how much easier does it become to, even if it's more my turn, your turn, Trey runs double drag and then it flips to the second side then DeJounte runs something. That isn't the most synergistic uh synergistic, however the word goes fit between those two, but like that can work. And if you do have Sadiq out there to provide extra spacing, does it make it easier for either of those guys to create advantages? So it may not be warriors esque where the ball is just super popping and The movement is fluid and all that good stuff, but it may get the same. Uh, you may get the same answer there.
2: So I, I want to see it or vice versa. I think is more interesting where it's Murray who's running double drag and it's Trey coming off the second side. Mm-hmm. You know, I agree with you. I mean, Look, it's a big year. I think it's a big year for Trey. I think he knows this. So, I, I, the one case for optimism on that front is that if it's going, if Trey is going to buy in and fully get there with maybe this tweak, it's going to happen this year because he's had a couple years and there are a lot of questions about his viability as a winning player. And you know, if it doesn't work, you probably are looking at do we trade this guy. So it is kind of the inflection point of Trey's career in that sense.
1: Well, and and Mike, there's another funny point here, which is, let's say Trey Young, and I'm not saying this is true, doesn't want to be in Atlanta long term. Maybe it's the direction of the franchise, maybe he has something else. It is actually significantly better for him to make his way out via a good season than a bad season because there are lots of ways that the Hawks could change it but because that rising star potentially makes another team more interested in bringing you in as a positive move and for Trey Young if your goal is to set up the prime years of your career and everything else it's not to be saddled with oh you've been the captain of a 41 and 41 ship for two three years in a row rather than oh this is we're seeing the trey young who made the conference finals and who is like unquestionably one of the most talented offensive players in the league
2: yeah i mean I, i think if trey has a really good year that sort of the question of whether trey wants to stay in atlanta i think maybe is a year or two away to me, the more interesting possibility is if Trey doesn't improve, and Atlanta's like, "Are we sure we want to do this?" Sure. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm not. I, I think your scenario is is likely, but I think if Trey has a really good year this year under Quinn Snyder, I think it buys Atlanta a little bit of time.
1: Yeah, it very well could. Plenty more to discuss, but first, a message from FanDuel. Snap into action this season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, which I love, Over unders and more, so visit fanduel.com slash Boston, kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be twenty-one or over and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling Helpline MA.org or call 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1 800 GAM 1234. The last thing we haven't discussed, and in part because they're they're pretty easy from the are they better or worse framing, is the Washington Wizards. But Mike, I think they're that, better. The no, I'm just kidding. the, the <laughs> question that I want to pose to you, I mean, Kevin Pelton put out his models, and the Wizards were, I think, they had like a 32 win estimate there. Did they really? I didn't see that. Do huh. you? Do you, basically my question to you is this: Do you think this looks like one of the? absolute dregs of the league or do you think they're looking a little bit better than that
2: i think they look like one of the absolute dregs of the league i have said that they would be the worst team in the league i think they will be part of that is i don't know if like i I understand that they have some kind of quality players in terms of guys that you know can help teams you know, I think Kuzma will have a good year. I'm actually very curious to watch how Jordan Poole plays this year. You're obviously very familiar with this game, but I think there is a decent bet that what happened last year in Golden State was so circumstantial and strange, and you might see kind of a resumption of his upward trajectory. Like, I think that that's very possible. Um, I think Tyus Jones is a quality player. You know, they've got some other interesting players. Uh, I think Corey Kispert's a decent player, Denny Abbia is an interesting player. Uh, Daniel Gafford has put up kind of good advanced numbers. I'm not sure if uh, him anchoring the center rotation is a great thing. The problem is I I just don't see how unless a lot of these offensive players become way more efficient, they're going to be one. They're going to be possibly the worst defense in the league. I just don't see any way that they can avoid that, you know. Gaffer is your defensive anchor, Poole playing big minutes, a lot of the other guys they have. Uh, Kuzma probably gunning for his his own shots a little bit more and not really being the stopper that he could be. I have a very hard time. And frankly, Wes Unsell's defense have never been very good. Um, never been particularly encouraging. It's sort of been paint by numbers, you know, let's allow a lot of mid-range shots, force like no turnovers, and now they don't have a rim protector. I think you can navigate that. I would be very surprised if they're not a bottom five defense. Then offensively, I think they'll have some nights where they shoot really well, but I don't see anyone who can consistently, efficiently get buckets, and so to me that combined with what I think and it's going to be interesting to see this this play out because Wes Sunsell Jr. is probably more of a developmental coach, but he isn't the developmental coach that this regime picked. So I'm curious to see, you know, like Bilal Koulibaly started their first preseason game. I think that was mostly because Denny Optia was injured, but if he plays a lot, they're probably going to be worse. You know, at what point does the sort of the switch flip, Does sort of this good vibe, like a kind of, hey, we're here to kind of prove everyone wrong, kind of meet the demands of the dog days of the season and how aggressively do they sell from there? To me, I, I would be – I just – I have a hard time seeing them not being the worst team in the East and possibly the league because of all those incentives and because they don't have – again, unless Jordan Poole shows a lot more than he has, they don't have someone who like every night you will will score efficiently on decent volume. They have guys who can do it once every few nights, and it will look like they're, they're playing better, but they don't have anybody who can do it fairly regularly – you know, to lose Beal and Porzingis off that team, I mean, those are, that wasn't very deep to begin with. I mean, those guys, particularly Porzingis, had a great year last year. I just don't see, I, I'm kind of surprised at that 32 win projection, to be honest. I'm, now I'm starting to wonder if I'm missing something. But, you know, to me, they, they, they're the worst team in the league.
0: And I'm happy, happy about it,
2: by the way. That's great. <laughs>
0: If I could quickly hijack the podcast and ask you a pair of questions by uh, one with Jordan Poole, uh, assuming I would imagine the number one scoring role with Washington, him and Daniel Gafford, does Jordan Poole, who can book and pick and roll, him having like a violet rim runner or a guy that can slip and get vertical, does that do anything for you as a pick and roll pairing to generate efficient offense?
2: It's definitely I mean, I can see why they're excited about it. It's definitely not someone that Poole has played with before. On the yeah. flip side, though, D- Daniel Gafford may be a great rim roller and slipper, but, you know, Jordan has played his entire career with some of the best screen setters in the league. And much of his effectiveness has come with the dream on green pairing, him moving to the second unit, uh, doing a lot of stuff with Kevon Looney. I mean, it's just a totally different type of screener, you know, a mm-hmm. totally different type of vibe. And I... I don't, it, it sounds great in theory, but like what happens if Poole isn't getting the same level of separation on his screens that he got in Golden State? How does that do for his game? You know, so to me, I, it's different, but I don't know if it's better.
0: Got you. God, that, that was kind of the thing that popped for me. Like he hasn't played with like a pick and roll part like this. Like obviously Draymond is better, Kabon Looney's better than Daniel Gafford. But just in terms of how Jordan wants to score or how he will be projected to score in Washington, like he hasn't had that kind of a role threat before, and so I wondered like that would be something that could unlock him and maybe just give you an efficient play type. Well, Nikai, Nika just a quick
1: a a quick jump in there. Jordan Poole being a less reliable pick and roll scorer is a big part of why some of those Warriors lineups didn't work last year. But he was much better mm-hmm. two years ago. And so the idea that last year was an anomaly is a completely reasonable one considering, you know, he got punched in the face and everything else weird that happened last year. And that, mm-hmm. you know, Poole struggles initiating were why they put Draymond on the second unit and it did look better at that point but the idea that Poole can be better than he was last year especially as a pick and roll player completely reasonable
2: yeah Yeah, sort of somebody that can get because I think there is an open question as to whether Poole and like kind of maybe more of a stationary pick and roll traditional high pick and roll setup with like a rim rolling big we just haven't seen it at all even I mean Golden State doesn't really play that way and yeah. so, you know, it, it, I'm not saying he can't do it, but we just, I mean, we haven't seen it before. It's been nowhere near. And I don't think he, like, you think about him, like, compared to someone like a Jordan Clarkson, who I think is often is an awful comparison. Jordan Clarkson is a lot stronger once he kind of gets the advantage. Yes. Than Pool has shown to me, they're just very different type of players. You know, if you told me that that Pool, you know, if you told me like, hey, maybe Denny Abdi is now like kind of a more like a Dario Sharik stretch four type, and he's playing two man game. I'm not saying they're going to use him this way with Poole. That is a little more in line with what he's done. I, I, I'm i not saying he can't
0: do it, but I, I I, think that this sort of Gafford pick and roll thing is more of a bug than a future. Got you. Then just to quickly bounce off of that, just pulled it up on second spectrum of the top four uh, pick and roll partners that Jordan Poole had. His most efficient roller or screener was Jonathan Kaminga, if that <laughs>
2: does anything for you.
0: it's okay. Well,
2: that's on plays that he finishes, right? Yeah. So, i mean how does it count all the play any plays where like pool doesn't get open because the screen isn't good enough
0: yeah. i mean it's it's all incompetent
2: so that it yeah all the- what's the sample size too on the convenient thing but yeah no i mean look they, there's a world where it could happen i i think there's just I am generally higher on Jordan Poole's career than I think most people. I think last year was an anomaly. I just don't know if this setup is best suited for him to be, like, again, an efficient player. again, he'll have games where he puts up a lot of points. Uh, And I think generally he will improve his value. But I just don't know. You know, is he going to be a 25 per game scorer on, like, kind of above
0: average efficiency? I'm just not sure I see that. No, think that's fair. And then just quickly defensively, like how do you feel about Bilal Bilal defensively?
2: He's got great tools. He's just very young. And so I don't think it's gonna happen this year. Um
0: actually I think it's gonna be
2: interesting just how much they play him to start the year. You know, West has said, you know, the G League might be an option for him, but at the same time he did start the other game. They played against some Australian team that, you know, was traveling and so it's not really a, a reasonable sample, but he did look like he... Belonged. He has all the tools. It's just, you know, how much rope is he going to get to show them? Uh, to me, I think the better—I mean, if you're counting on Bilal to be, like, sort of a top defensive player for their team right now, I mean, it's just not going to happen at this stage. But I, I'd be curious to see, you know, how much—like, what, what I think would be a, a, an ideal scenario for the Wizards this year is December rolls around and they're around 500, r- relying on the vents. The the bottom falls out in December. They trade Tyus Jones for value. And then from February on, Bilal is going to play a lot more and have the ball in his hands a lot more. And you tease that out. And they finish 22 and 60, or maybe not 22 and 60, 26 and 56. I think that's sort of the ideal scenario. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me and Mike, what you were getting at with the end of that is, is the other reason why I think the Wizards will end up one of the worst teams in the league is because with the new front office they have the stomach for it and this I mean, they're oh, murmuring. For one the, year at
2: least we'll this, see, we'll see guy, how Ted, we'll see what Ted says.
1: <laughs> we'll see, what, I mean, and, and that's that's the funny part of your scenario but that might not make it best case is that you may want them to be a little bit worse in December so that they actually can be like, okay, this is where we need to go, um, but I I think that's going to happen. And the other reason why I'm lower on the Wizards is um, the other end, Duncan, that I record podcasts with brings up the point of ensemble casts really need to stay healthy. And the Wizards, like, their best iterations, I think, will be intriguing, will be competitive. I love DeLon Wright, too. But... Inevitably, it's the NBA. Guys are going to miss time. And so when Daniel Gafford's out, how in the world do they fix that? And when Kuzma's out, when Poole's out, how in the world do they fix that? And so the idea that it will drag them to where they need to be unless they're like Kings healthy this year.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, my guess is that they will have a couple moments in November where they surprise some teams. And then just the long, like you said, the long grind of the season will wear them down because like yeah like you said they're going to be unhealthy and then the incentives are going to shift and that will drive them down to the bottom of the league
1: i don't think there are any but are there any other off-season moves not counting rookies i want to discuss them separately that you think are worth worth bringing up
0: Uh like i mean i, I have a list of guys that i have keeping an eye on like to qualify for this conversation, probably not. Like you touched on it very early on, going from Dennis Smith Jr. to Frank Ntilikina. Like I do want to see what kind of role he carves out in Charlotte, but that's I'm one of like eight people that probably cares man, about that. That is probably
2: that is actually. like the most like the kious, uh exciting move of all time. How's Frank Ntilikina gonna replace Dennis Smith Jr.? Never doubt how much that man watches. <laughs>
0: I mean, if you you want a guy that's going to be feisty at the point of attack, like that, you could do a lot worse than Frank. But again, like he he seems like a cliff guy. But also drafting Nick Smith Jr. Lamella going to be bad. Like I just don't know how much he plays. But yeah, well, we don't have to spend ten minutes okay. on that.
2: Yeah, I, I think the uh, the most interesting moves, so to speak, are sort of what happens with the best players in this division. You know, what does Trey Young do in this really crucial season? You know, LaMelo Ball, this is a really crucial season for him. You know, how serious is he going to be? Uh, certainly we talked about Bancaro. How quick is his rise? Is it immediate or is it more gradual? You know, and I still am kind of curious and you know i think tyler hero is a really interesting this is a critical season for him and if he i mean what do you i mean nikai he watched the heat a lot more than even i do the tyler the tyler hero question i mean i think there are enough people who are murmuring that oh it's is it not a coincidence that they made their finals run while he was injured and so now that you're working it back in the fold with no Lilith with this point guard situation is this a opportunity for him to again, like like Jordan Poole, like kind of overcome and bounce all the way back to the player he was even in the bubble, or is this you know his va- or is this, he just not up for the task, particularly if he's playing a lot on the ball? That will determine a whole lot for Miami because you know we know Butler's going to miss about twenty games a year unless he really cares about all NBA. Bam, I think is not again, it's all gradual improvement for him as an offensive hub, you know, Mm -hmm. but they need somebody who can dribble the ball. And Tyler Hero is that guy. But it is, again, telling that they they went to the finals without him. I mean, where do you stand on that sort of side of the development for him?
0: Like, I think I lean more towards the former of the two options that you gave. Like I do think he can bounce back. Like he had a pretty good season last year and in the one playoff half that we got from him before he dove for a loose ball that he had no chance of getting in broke his hand in the process, which still one of the more bizarre plays that I've seen. Um, Like he was playing well in that Milwaukee game. And like so many of the questions heading into the season was like, okay, what kind of on ball leap does Tyler hero make? And two, what is Tyler? Will we get a really good all around postseason from Tyler hero? Because like the rookie year pops for obvious reasons and what he did against Boston in particular pops for people. But after that, it hasn't been great, which, you know, isn't super out of the blue for young guards. Like, yeah, it might be inconsistent for the non-star class. It's fine. Um, it felt like he was, he had an opportunity to kind of prove doubters wrong last year and then got hurt. And so like, I haven't completely subscribed to the, the heat made the finals in large part because he wasn't there. Like, I do think there are fair defensive questions to ask, but you also saw when the shots were not falling for Max Struess or when you were relying on Gabe Vincent to create so much on the ball. And for, again, for a lot of the postseason, he was up to task to do that much to the chagrin of like Nick fans in particular, but you miss knowing that, okay, we know Tyler will get to a shot that is comfortable for him, even if it isn't always a good shot overall. And so like, I think there is inherent value to that. I do think being able to toggle him on and off the ball, which again, leads back into who's the backup point guard, because I think we saw early in the preseason game yesterday as we recorded on a Wednesday, Um, When he was on the floor with Kyle Lowry and he got to work off ball first and then go on ball, he didn't miss a shot to start that game. And he was very much loaded. And once it was just him kind of holding things down or just playing with some of those hybrid units, it got a little difficult for him in terms of shot quality, still shots that he can make because he's a tough shot maker and taker, but you want to see that ease all the time. Um, but yeah, I think in important minutes, like he's already shown he can play off of Bam, He can play off of Jimmy. He can't assume more on ball usage. If you want to have him lead a second unit, like he's won six band a year before. So like, these are all things that he can do. So I'm more optimistic than most, I think. Um, But again, I'm also someone that has never been on the he is a all star, superstar in waiting. Like I could never get there, but I think he's good, I think he can prove valuable for, for the team.
1: Yeah, that sounds completely fair to me. And the Heat also have the like when they're full strength, they have the latitude to use Hero in the roles that he can do well, and they also have a need for him to to step into some of it. And if I if I were to trust a single coach to kind of make that balance work, it, it might be Eric Spoelstra. I think he's done a very good job with Hero specifically over the years when mm-hmm. they've had their full complement. So that's that's a big positive. Well, transition briefly. Um, I always do this in terms of the rookie you're most excited to see. For me, that's pretty clearly Brandon Miller. Even though I wasn't the highest on him as a prospect, I'm still really excited to see how he fits, and he should have an opportunity
2: with this Hornets squad. Yeah, I'm excited to see Kulabada for all the reasons we talked about uh, earlier. Just as a Wizards fan, he represents more than anything else this new era, and so I'm just really curious to see his growth and. Very excited to overreact to like the one precocious, cool play he makes and ignore the five inexperienced ones <laughs> he does. So
0: I'm more I'm I'm very excited for that as a fan.
2: That's sort of what's going to keep me going for a lot of the season.
0: Like I, <clears throat> like one below was going to be my answer as well. Like that's part of why I asked you about the defense, because I think that can pop, especially relative to other rookies. I think that can pop relatively early if he gets to burn. And, like, just the nerd side of me, like, I want to see him and Diddy on the floor defending together. Like, offensively, that gets dicey for very obvious reasons. But, like, I want to see those two on the wing together and see what that looks like. Uh, Beyond Belong. Sorry, hold on. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what.
2: <laughs> that's a, keep we gotta going. Sorry, i to I absolutely love that. Keep that in. Sorry, I'm gonna, uh, I, a, I, I, going to um, like, yeah, meet myself for a second. <laughs>
0: that's tremendous and also if we are uh removing brandon miller from the list since that seems very obvious i do want to see what Jaime haquez does with miami like that's a very Mm -hmm. miami answer for me but so much of the talk pre-drafted and after miami picking was that he does seem more nba ready like had the lengthy college stint has like postseason uh has postseason experience on the college level as well and watching summer league and watching preseason like you can see very early on like this is a crafty dude in terms of the footwork like crafty seems very like cliche to say about guys that does not have like traditional athleticism, but he is a good athlete. He looks very comfortable with the ball in his hands. And I like that. He does make good decisions with the ball. Like the early bucket against Gordon Hayward in the preseason game where he pivots like three or four times and gets a layup without traveling. I'm just like, hey, wait a minute. That's not typically what rookie wings do against other veterans. That's fun. And so if he holds up defensively, which I think he will, and if he knocks down enough spot up shots, and that's something that I'm a little bit more questionable about. I think he's going to serve a role, and that adds to the guys who can handle the ball list for Miami. So if it's not a traditional backup point guard behind Kyle Lowry, you still do have, overall, Lowry can handle, Hero can handle, Butler can handle, Josh Richardson can handle on occasion. You can run stuff through Bam, and now you add Hame to the list as well. Like, that gives you enough, at least during the regular season. So I'm curious to see just how early of an impact he can make.
1: I don't know if Kobe Bufkin and Nick Smith are going to play, but I, I'm interested to see whether those like kind of young young guards can can make any noise. There will have it, you know. There will be minutes theoretically if they're good um, to to have it, but there isn't necessarily a ton of urgency there. They're both as as weird as the Hornets are. They do have other kind of minutes that they can handle. So, yeah. It, but I mean, Miller Miller and Koulibaly and Hawkes are, are definitely good choices there. We could transition into the kind of the the season preview part of this, and we'll start with Nikias. You want to rank these teams one to five? I, I, I say typically regular season performance. If you want to use different criteria, you're free to, but just let people know what it is.
0: Got you. Uh, I went with like traditional um, traditional regular season rankings here, and like ultimately, I don't think my like playoff rankings look different that much either. Uh, I have Miami winning the division. I have Atlanta second. I have Orlando third. I have Charlotte fourth, and I have Washington fifth me too
1: um okay here's the question i'll start this with mike if there were a change from that a deviation what is the most likely deviation
2: you know there was a part of me at first who was like you know, what if atlanta wins the division and the miami we saw during the regular season minus those role players uh is a worse team but the more i think about it i i, I kind of am coming around to nakai's point of view that what Miami loss is not that significant and they can more than easily make up for it with some of the other guys stepping in and some of the guys they have. So I think the other thing you could see, I I'm not sure Orlando is going to make the leap into second place. What could happen is that Charlotte is better than we think. And Orlando is maybe a year away and those could flip. Uh, But I still think it's probably going to be that 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 order. I feel relatively confident of that. And I, I would suspect that only Miami is a no brainer top six team. I think Atlanta and Orlando are in the play in and we'll see. I think the other two teams are near the bottom of the East.
1: Charlotte over Orlando is the other one for me. I will I will echo your order though. I do think that Charlotte finishing over Orlando would not be a surprise for me. So that I, I let it I let it that way and didn't answer it myself because that was that was my answer too. But then that lends itself into the question. Um, I could start with Mike since Nikias led the last one. How many teams from this division make the final eight?
2: The final eight. I'm going to say two because I'm going to say one of Orlando and Atlanta makes it out of the play-in. I mean I would lean Atlanta on that front uh but yeah i think two make the
0: final eight only one makes the top six i think i'm right there like i think it's miami's in and then one of atlanta orlando like i for me like i would love if it's orlando just because i just love what they're building and if we do just get a more efficient palo and if franz continues his trajectory like i think they could very well be in the playoffs like i think they can make it through the play in uh, I think Atlanta's probably a safer bet if for no other reason and, like you just you use just, you are guaranteed like when he's on the court a top five, top six offense with Trey. And that I think you Atlanta can turn out regular season wins in a way that Orlando maybe won't be able to do so early. But even with that, like I think about like hurts my heart, but like when Bowl left the rotation in Orlando and then they just played playoff basketball the rest of the year. It's like, well well now they just have this. So maybe they are May what well, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if it's three. I would just go with two. I think Miami and Atlanta get in.
1: There aren't as much as the East. I think has some has some depth. There aren't that many other teams where I'm like, oh yeah, it's going to be a battle to get into the top ten or something like that. So so the idea that one of Atlanta or Orlando and potentially both can can make it in is completely reasonable. And and who knows, maybe Charlotte works their way into that mix too. I think two is more likely than three, and three is probably more likely than one. But maybe. But I mean, so basically the idea would probably be that that the southeast gets multiple teams in the play and they just lose that they you know somebody else gets in there and and does something but that'll be that'll be something worth watching and because I know you are one of the champions that we do with this in the deep cuts Nikias you want to go first in terms of breakout players because it's it's not necessarily like oh you're becoming a star that doesn't actually happen that often coming out nowhere the threshold is players that we talk about significantly differently a year from now than we are at this moment
0: Ooh, I think since we have so much or we have more flux than usual at the four in Atlanta, like I think Jalen Johnson could be no, the guy God, that people God damn about. it. You took <laughs> <laughs> I was something to out deep
2: cut, deep cut you. <laughs> you want me to I, go? I, sh- t- I should never out deep cut the king. <laughs>
0: <laughs> damn. Oh, man. But no, I <clears throat> like Jalen Johnson is going to be top of mind for me. Um, With Washington, you mentioned him a little bit earlier, Mike. Like, I do like what I saw from Corey Kispert second half of the year in particular. Uh, the Wizards as a whole are probably going to be worse, but I do think his shooting and the quick decision making uh, when he does have the ball, I think, is going to be valuable very early on for this group. So maybe Corey Kispert is someone that's talked about a little bit differently within the lens of, OK, well, Washington is going to be top three in the lottery. But this was a bright spot. Um, He would count for me. Cody Barton coming back for Charlotte. Uh, mentioned Nick Smith Jr. earlier. Like if he does get early burn instead of Frank, I guess one of those two I think could end up playing a role. Again, may not lead to Charlotte's a play-in or playoff team, but someone that will give productive minutes, uh, particularly in the second half of the year. Um, I-, I can keep going, so I'll, I'll mm-hmm. stop it there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you uh, you got like this deep bag of of play- people. Yeah, you know, I. One maybe we haven't mentioned at all in Charlotte that I think you know be interesting to see if he can solidify that starting spot is Mark Williams, who played really well down the stretch last year before he got hurt. You know, former first round pick, you could see him kind of really thriving with a role that Steve Clifford kind of keeps simple for him. You know, you mentioned Jalen Johnson. There's going to be somebody in Miami, uh, whether it's Hakez or Jokic or Jovic or. Sweeter or Cole Swider. Is it Swider or Sweeter? Swider. Swider. or even Hayward Highsmith or, you know, somebody in that ilk that is going to play a lot better. You know, we haven't also talked about you mentioned Cody Martin, but what does Caleb Martin do for an encore from his finals run? You know, is there another level for him to go up? You know, you could we haven't really mentioned that sort of thing. I think there's sort of this thought of how can he be any better than he was in the playoffs? But you know, what if that's a springboard? him, like I, I could see that. I mean, to me, the last one, and it's a little obvious, but I think it will determine a lot of how far the Heat go. Is like Tyler Hero, you know. I don't know if we see all star potential for him, but you know, he's he's not Damian Lillard, but if he can kind of play really well, and especially be a little better when he's not surrounded by another point guard. That will go a long way towards making Heat fans forget about that, and I think there's enough sufficient motivation for Hero to get to that level.
1: I'll add, in, I, I, I apologies if I missed missed Nikai's mentioning him. It's a basic one, but Sadiq Bey. I mean, Sadiq Bey, mm. he still hasn't quite gotten back to the heights of his rookie year, where he you know shot 30 from three, taking 12 per 100 possessions. I think per 36, he was like nine. Like that's pretty ridiculous, and he's gonna get some pretty great looks play next to Trey Youngin. And the the system, if Quinn Snyder gets all the go-and-catch running, could actually work really well for him. They should have decent spacing. And, like, I mean, if Sadiq Bey is a starting power, starting forward on a playoff team, like, that's a pretty significant step forward for him, even if he has been a mostly starter through the earlier years of his career. And then the other one for the Hawks, I feel like it's every year. Mike brought up the point of how, like, Clint Capella has been on the trade block for seemingly... Th- Forever is this finally the year that Anyika Kongwu actually takes the job? Not not that he gets gifted it because they trade Klinkapella to one of the myriad teams that they've negotiated with in the past, but that Kongwu can really put it together. And part of the reason I like Bay and Kongwu for this is the idea that we know they're going to get potential scoring touches when they play with Trey. Like you know the the idea there. And that there is plenty of that, them being decent to better than decent defensively makes a world of difference for the Hawks.
2: I think we've sufficiently named all the deep cuts. We didn't mention Jalen Suggs, actually. I think Ooh. There, there's an interesting world where, I mean, right now it makes more sense that Gary Harris is a starting two there because of the spacing he provides. But I think it's Jalen Suggs can win the job, I think that will uh, I, I've got- be a lot better for Orlando's long term future. It's just, it just can be so erratic.
1: I've got another Magic deep cut. I'm still a Chumo KK fan. I think that he has good game. I think that there were some stretches last year where you're like, oh, he's putting it together. I I wonder if he can do it. But when if the Magic are still looking for guys, if let's say, I mean, I'm hoping that Fultz and Cole Anthony and everybody else like that they they get enough that they're not like trying to find stuff. But Chuma's intriguing.
0: I love Chuma. It just I worry about his place in the rotation. They just have so many wings and forwards, and I just don't know. Outside of like a bunch of injuries or trades, like I just don't know if he's able to get himself back into the consistent rotation. But I, I love the Chuma shout.
2: What What is he good at?
0: Yes, no, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> like what?
2: What is like? What am I missing? What does he do? That's like anything
0: special? Like the special part is probably missing. Like it's more so like there isn't anything that he's particularly. Bad at you want the shooting to be better naturally, but like he feels like he he can fill a lot of gaps.
1: He can fill gaps and and he actually makes some pretty good decisions with the ball in his hand sometimes. Which are like oh like you know like players of his size like I think Chuma's listed at he's listed at like six 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 seven like every yeah, once in a while he shows shows a little bit now. Few teams need that less from a six six guy than the Orlando Magic, but like it, it's it's intriguing and like he sometimes he can do some good off like he had some had some stuff in the handoff game last year that I thought was a little bit interesting. Um, um so maybe maybe they can get to it a little bit but i'm not you know like the the idea that there may be a little something there i mean if he were just to mention one more if he weren't such an established commodity right now like delon wright probably fits this too i love delon wright i think that he will Mm. he will help the wizards as long as the wizards let him help them but i don't know how long they'll let him help them
2: yeah i imagine he'll get traded to a playoff team perform pretty well for them and then become a free agent, the rest of the league will forget about him. He'll go to a lottery team, perform pretty well for them, then go to a playoff <laughs> team. Yeah, the cycle will just continue uh with him. Uh, but yeah. But uh, he's like what, he's twenty nine now, isn't he? Dude, he's you know, not know, young though he's his ages. anymore. Yeah. He's, no, I, he's, but, no, he's a good he's a good player. Yeah. You know, imagine again. I say this all the time, but if Atlanta had him, that they look their bench would look a lot better. Mm-hmm. And they had him, uh, but yeah, <laughs> you know, but I think it's sort of groundhog. Yeah, at this point, he's been on so many teams, you know, that you wonder if like kind of we can't we can't be right if that many teams are wrong or are, are wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
1: It's usually not the yeah. case. Maybe I should have ended this with the with the riff on Chumo KK. But I am extremely thankful to both of you for taking the time to come on.
0: Oh, thanks for having us, man. Oh, that was
2: a blast. This is the only podcast that's going to have that level of analysis on a guy that will probably play five minutes a game this year. <laughs>
1: Nikaias, anybody else Uh, playing five minutes a game? We
0: don't know which one is.
1: Nikaias, anybody else playing five minutes a game? You want to talk about? I was
0: about to say. This sounds like a challenge to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we already got
2: to Frank Milakina. You know that we've mentioned him. Uh, It's actually kind of funny to me that we didn't talk at all about Orlando's two lottery pick rookies. You know, kind of
0: interesting. Yeah, just Uh, part of the guard room that's super like stacked. Like I'm glad you brought. the Jalen Suggs conversation since he's been in the league has just very much annoyed me. What part of it is annoyed, you? Because I feel like there was so much about, like, who he was drafted ahead of or drafted behind, etc. Like, that kind of cloud some stuff. And then when he didn't shoot well in his rookie years, like, well, now he's bad. And I'm just like, well, he wasn't bad. He was inefficient, but the defense was already good. And so it, it just feels like he's behind the eight ball and within, like, the national lens. But, like, I think he's a quality player already.
2: Well, he's not a point guard. I think that was, I think, yes. part of the confusion coming out of college for him. You know, he's not, he played more on ball at Gonzaga. And, you know, I think it's been pretty proven that he's kind of more of a like, you know, you look at the trajectory of like a Contavious Caldwell Pope and you think about that's the type of player that Jalen Suggs, the best version of him could be, you mm-hmm. know, or like an Avery Bradley back when Avery Bradley was better. But he's just got to make better decisions, you know, especially on a team that has a lot of other mouths to feed mm-hmm. and is in need of somebody who just does their job. I think it's just a big an open question as to whether he's going to be solid enough, you know, because without moments in games where you're like, this is this guy is you know legit like going to be a really great role player. He does so many really interesting things and whatever, but he makes three or four decisions a game that just make you wonder what he's thinking. And on an Orlando team that doesn't have you know the shot creation to sort of channel him into a role that, like, if he was on Denver, he would never shoot the ball until he was wide open, you know what I mean? Uh, Orlando isn't that. It's it's just a question as to whether he's going to fulfill that potential, but, you know, I, there's definitely a really interesting role player in there. If Orlando can tease that out, I think it makes them even more dynamic, particularly defensively, and particularly with their half-court office being such an issue, he can create office for them in, on the break. I think he's a great, could be a great transition player, but he's just got to cut out those two those three or four just mind-boggling plays that he makes every game, it seems.
1: <laughs> I love I've, Suggs I've, uh, as a disruptive defender and like point of attack stuff, He can, he can do some nice team defensive things as well. The question, and this is just such a big pressing thing for Orlando is, can they get enough creation from their bigger guys that they can play that brand of smaller guy with the important players? And I think the answer might be yes, but then it becomes, well, which of the small guys is it? Because that's sort of the model, unless you're a bigger believer in Anthony Black on ball than I am, that's kind of the model with Anthony Black too. That's, you know, that's what Suggs does. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the, this, you know, if Marco Fultz never gets the the mid-range or or gets the full jump shot package back, that's kind of the kind of player that he is too, you know, like these push it in transition and all that type of stuff. And so I do think there's a chance that Suggs ends up being the best of those guys at that in, in either this year or in time.
2: And some of that also depends on how quickly Ben Carroll grows as a lead creator. Or, and so that's or, why. I,
1: honestly, the other guy I should have picked for a potential breakout, Franz Wagner is really good. And, well,
2: there, there, is there a breakout there? I think we I mean, just agree that he's really good. If
1: he's an all-star.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess we'll see. I mean, it seems to me like there's still to me questions about his three-point shooting, particularly off the dribble. He's a good downhill player. If he wants to be like kind of that level of like kind of top player... I think he's going to have to become a little bit more efficient shooting off the dribble than he has been in ways that are not sort of the step backs, you know, and particularly as teams sort of learn to defend him. I'm not saying I mean, he's a good player, but to me, there's a lot more upside with Bankero as a creator. And to me, that's the question of the magic this year is. If Ben Carroll can play like a number one option this quickly, it really elevates them. If it's going to take a little while, Franz Wagner is a good fulcrum, but I don't think he can carry an offense in that way. I guess we'll see. I, I don't think. I think he's more of a secondary playmaker. He's good though. I agree. Definitely better uh, like than Domingo.
0: Sheesh. <laughs> That's yeah. That I don't think they're gonna. They're gonna think about that one for a little bit. I do have one quick, like five minute per game guy that I'll shout out. Oh my god. I don't know. It might will either yell at me or appreciate it. Uh, just because I'm an OKC head, Eugene O'Marui is in Washington yes. right now. Uh, I think if West like wants some more, oh my God! Hey man, if Wes wants some more defense on the floor, and you talked about the defense being uninspiring, he will do that.
2: Okay. Well, I'd rather him play than Gallinari or Mike Buscala as a small ball five. So sure, there's going to be like two <laughs> weeks where Wizards fans are going to be really in on him. So I mean, look, I mean, this is what the, I mean, uh, this is what the rebuild is. You, you look at guys like that. I mean, I'm actually kind of intrigued a little, little bit by you know, Ryan Rollins and Patrick Baldwin, you know, can they carve out interesting roles? You know, those are interesting flyers. You know, Baldwin could be, he certainly could shoot the ball. I mean, it, defensively is going to be a question, but, you know, can he play, I'm not saying he's Tobias Harris, but is there like some of that upside there with him? I'm curious. I mean, it's, I'm probably a little more curious about him than uh, O'Marini, but, you know, those are some guys where, you know, you could see something happening. So, yeah, sure.
0: I got the yes, yeah, sure. I'll take it.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, we can we can we can end it there. I'm not going to give. Who's Nikai- the best
2: two way contract player in this division? Nikai- <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man! Like, Wait, Cole I, Swider. We already talked about him. Yeah, we talked about. I, was saying, I, I think it's low key Eugene. Honestly, mm. but <clears throat> we'll see what happens with Cole. I guess we'll also see what happens with RJ Hampton. Oh. oh right! Oh, it, it,
1: it all—it also might be Teo Maladon, who I'm—I'm I'm a big fan of.
2: Okay, this wasn't—I didn't think this would be a serious conversation, <laughs> but I'm impressed by you guys. This is quite impressive.
1: Oh, actually, I really like Kevon Harris too. I'm also, surprised. He's, I'm, to sur- I'm surprised Kevon's still on a two-way. I thought he was going to get a full contract.
2: They played him a lot second half of the year last yeah. year.
1: See what you did, Mike.
2: <laughs> man, we're we're going to crush it in uh, immaculate grid in five years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for taking the time. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Nikias Duncan and Mike Prater for coming on. You can listen to Nikias Duncan. On the Dunker Spot podcast, you can also listen to him on the old Band the Three podcast. I believe that he and Steve Jones are going to be on it regularly, which I'm extremely excited about. And whenever you see his written work, read his written work, I am in awe not only of the quality of Nikias' analysis, but also the fact that he somehow has the bandwidth to do the NBA extremely well and to do the WNBA extremely well. That is not something I have the capability of doing. I'm consistently impressed by him in so many ways. And Mike Prada does mostly editing at The Athletic, but does excellent work. Somebody, of course, that I deal with, as they are one of my employers. And his great book, Spaced Out. If you haven't read it yet, you can you can get it, I presume, wherever bookstores are, where books are sold, which is typically bookstores. And if you want to follow them on social media, Nikias is Nikias MBA, and Mike Prada is Mike Prada MBA. So they both have that in there, there if you want to kind of check out the work that they're doing. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can... Subscribe, download every episode that is particularly great for Real GM Radio, because it's never going to come out on a specific day of the week. It's just not really possible with what this show is. So you subscribe in your podcast player, and it'll pop in whenever there is a new episode. You can also help other people find the show. Leaving a rating and review, social media, word of mouth, all of those are greatly appreciated. But the single most important thing you can do for this podcast and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is FanDuel, fanduel.com Boston. And new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Of course, talked about that a lot. Oh. In earlier in the podcast with all the fun you know, notes and disclaimers and, and all of that. So you can if you want to go back, you should be able to find it pretty easily. You can also check out my other work, considering especially Mike is an editor at The Athletic. I will start there with The Athletic. I have a couple pieces in process right now. I actually started writing another one while I hadn't finished one because I just thought of an idea. And I'm like, okay, I need to get, get these thoughts down. It's about, it's most of the way there through a first draft, which is pretty exciting. I, I hammered that out. So I don't know a timeline on them, but they'll be coming. And then, of course, dunked on, dunked on Prime, going strong. Nate is still continuing the excellent team-by-team series that he does with Dunked On. And then we did a newser this week and talked about the very fun Victor Wembanyama-Chet Holmgren preseason game, OKC San Antonio, which I believe was on Monday. So we talked about that. We both watched it. And yeah, I mean, there will be there will be more content to come once the season really gets going. I'm so happy to be line, you know talking about Real Jam Radio and everything else for another year. I realized, I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, um, during... Warriors media day that this is my 15th year covering the NBA with a credential. And Real GM Radio has been around a vast majority of that time. I can't remember the exact timing. Somebody will probably email me with it, and I appreciate that. But all of you are such an important part of making that possible. Of course, so are the wonderful people at Real GM and all my other employers, both present and past. But I was with Real GM then, I'm with Real GM now, and it has been a thrill. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I tried to reply. I actually did some late replies somewhat recently, but... I always read it. That's that's something I do every single day. And sometimes reading it on my phone doesn't make it useful to do a reply and all that fun stuff. But I do read it. That's and that's all I tell you exactly what the score is. And that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.